Good morning. My name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor here at Reach, and today we're going to be in Psalms. Uh, we've been in Acts for a few weeks, um, and today I felt specifically leading up to this weekend that it was uh, we we needed some Psalms, and we're going to be in probably one of the most popular Psalms there is. Even if you didn't grow up in or around church, you have seen it posted on Facebook. You have heard it at a funeral, and today we're going to talk about. Uh, Psalms 23. Here's my one thing that I want you to walk away with today, that I want you to hear, uh, and you'll, it'll make sense as we're going into Psalms 23, that Jesus is a good shepherd. And all that implies, yes, yes, Jesus is a good shepherd. And all that implies, so we're, we're going to talk about that, but leading up to, so we've been reading through, or I've been reading through Psalms and Proverbs and the New Testament um, and leading up to 23, guess what you read? 22. If you've read 22, um, it is not as cheerful. It is not as grace-filled. It is a little depressing. And uh, Psalms 22 is actually referred to as the, cro- the psalm of the cross. A lot of what Jesus says and goes through is in the litany of Psalms 22. You hear it from the beginning. My Lord, why have you forsaken me? And there's just this gut-wrenching um, through the whole Psalms of 23. And gratefully, Psalms 23 starts off with some hope. And so before we get into the Word, I'm um, going to ask the Holy Spirit to uh, do what I'm unable to do, which is really uh, speak to our hearts. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we invite you into this room. Uh, Lord, we invite you to, by the power of your word and the influence of the Holy Spirit, to bring peace in times of turmoil, to bring understanding and trust in times of the unknown. So we look to your word for it to speak truth to us. And Lord, we ask, I ask by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would block every lie, every half-truth, every deception that loves to come and steal from us what God wants to plant in us through His Word. So we submit and surrender to who you are through what your Word tells us about you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. So one thing that you hear and see throughout um, the Old Testament and the New Testament um, is this idea of shepherding, which is not something that we're really familiar with. Unless you grew up on a farm, um, not many of us, you know, I, I've never led any sheep around. I mean, really, like, I've, you know, I've been a youth pastor and pastor for years, and so yes, in that sense. But for the most part, we don't think in this type of parable because we've not experienced it Um, But it is something in the time that this was written that they understood because it's something they did. They knew somebody that did it. They understood what it was. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew 9, verses 36, he sees a crowd. It says, when he saw a crowd, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He understood the longing for people that needed to be led, a longing for people that were being used and abused, and he wanted to help them. In John 10, verse 11, it says, this is Jesus saying this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life 
were sheep, which we see. And we saw that through Psalms 22, what he did for us. And that's the beauty of us understanding Psalms 23 through the lens of what Jesus did for us. So we can trust him. We know what he does. And so to give you a little a little bit, I'm not going to go in depth. We'll talk about it a little bit. But um, sheep cannot survive alone in the wild. They must always be in the company of a shepherd. In the Middle Eastern shepherd, he loved his sheep. He named each of them. He cared for them tenderly. Many a shepherd would put himself in between his sheep and a wild beast that came to destroy. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He stepped in between the death that we deserve to give us freedom. And so we get this psalm. And what I, my, my whole hope for this psalm is that we don't just... I'm going to talk verse by verse through Psalms. There's only six verses in Psalms 23. But my hope for this is that this becomes something that we can trust in. This becomes something that we, in the moment of our need, have access to. So I'm going to encourage you, as you leave here today, uh, even at the end of service, I'm going to have you read it to yourself. It's going to be on the bo- on the board. It's going to be on the screen in its entirety so that you can read it because what we have access to here is promises. And these promises become legitimate from who they come from. And so what I want to do first is I want to read all six verses and then I'm going to go through and pull some understanding out of what they are implying and then we're going to see what God wants to do. So Psalms 23 verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Everything that we read in 2 through 6 is hinged in verse 1. Because these promises are ours through this one word that's in Psalms 1, verse 1 of chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. All of the other things, these promises aren't ours without this idea of Him being our shepherd. If He's not our shepherd, He's not leading us into these places. But if he is our shepherd, it changes everything. In this first statement, it says, I shall not want. Um, one, uh, probably a better understanding of that text is, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack what the shepherd knows that I need. 
I think sometimes we read stuff like that and we're like, I shall not want what I want all the time. He's not going to remove your desire like, oh, I don't want anything. I'm, I'm super content. That's where he wants to lead you to. But the, the, the freedom that we have is I shall not lack anything that God wants to give me. And part of that, literally all of what comes after this is us trusting that it is so even when we don't see it. Meaning, when I don't have the things that I feel like I should have, I can declare that what I have is enough. What I have is what God wants me to have in this moment. Because let me just tell you, if God allowed you to have everything that you think you needed, your life would be miserable. I didn't say this in first service, but not to quote country music because I'm not the hugest country fan. But some of God's greatest answers are unanswered prayers. Come on, people. Everybody's like, uh, do I sing it? Do I say it? But it is. I mean, literally, if, if, if we got everything that we think we needed, our life would be miserable. Because if you haven't discovered this yet, things will never satisfy you. There's always a new thing, there's always a new way, there's always something else that we think will make us happy and satisfied when God knows everything you need, I'm going to supply you. And so part of that is trusting it when you don't have the thing that you want, understanding that right then in this moment I have what I need. Number two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He forces me at times into rest and refreshment. Because I'm not saying we're dumb sheep, but we're dumb sheep. Sheep will drive themselves to death. If the shepherd allowed them to do what they thought they need, they would go further, they would go harder, And the shepherd has to slow them down. He has to make sure because he knows where the place is that they need to go. So he leads them to those pastures and those still waters so that they can be refreshed. And that's what he does. The psalm itself is our green pasture. The psalm itself is our still water. The psalm itself restores our soul. Because we know that this is where he's leading us and there have been seasons in my life that literally i have felt man i am grateful that i'm in this place i'm grateful that in this moment god has brought me here i I can look at times in my life that i needed rest and and, and refreshment and god forced me into sometimes painfully into places that i needed to be so that i can rest And be refreshed. But he does that. He leads. But that, 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 like I said in verse 1, he is my shepherd. When we're allowing him to do that, he's going to do these things for us in its season. In verse 3 it says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Do you struggle with the Ten Commandments? Do you struggle with the rules? Obeying? Everybody say yes. Because we're sinners who desire to have things our way. Yes, we say we don't kill or murder anyone. 
and all these other things that we feel good about saying. But to the end, all of those things were for our betterment. Have you ever thought about if, if, and this is not to say the law would free us, but if we could live the law freely, we would be so happy. But all of those things were for our benefit. There wouldn't be, and not just our benefit, but imagine how, other pe- how many other people wouldn't be hurt and wounded because of our actions. But he leads us to that place. And, and one of the things, as he shepherd us, the reason why he gives us his word and said, hey, this is beneficial to you because it will bring you life. He wants to restore us. He wants to give us righteousness. Second Corinthians five twenty one. it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I've said this a lot. Every time I say this first, like, I don't wake up in the morning, you may think I do, and go, hmm, Jody, righteousness of God. Acknowledge it. I know, you're thinking it. No! Like, we, we, we don't live in this place, but that's what Jesus does for us. The righteousness that we can have in the moment, right now, sitting here in this chair, is only going to be through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. He leads us to that place. He restores our soul in it. And here's the, here's the verse, verse 4, that... In the middle of our, our biggest pain and suffering, and I, I got a phone call from my dad this morning, and a really close friend of his lost a 15-year-old um, last night. Gut-wrenching. And I almost like, Dad, please don't call me before service telling me stuff like that. I mean, my dad, emo- he loves, this guy's like a son to him. And he's at my dad's house. Heartbroken. And he's like, what do I say? I'm like, just be there. Like when we try to explain, I don't, I don't know. And here, here's the thing. We're getting ready to go into the, the verse 4. And no one wants to be led into the valley of the shadow of death. Let me just say, no one volunteers for that. Like, oh, it's my turn. Woo, I'm getting ready to go through the valley of the shadow of death. But every single one of us will enter in. And I, I don't know. I do not have a divine answer from the Lord, for my dad, for... And I know this guy really well. I, I don't know. I don't know why this happened, but I do know that God is good. And in spite of everything else, God is working things to His end. And listen to this. In verse 4, Even though I walk... Why is He walking through the valley of the shadow of death? Because He is led there. Verse 2, verse 3, he leads, he leads. He didn't like, if he, because he is the good shepherd, they didn't end up into the valley of the shadow of death because they disobeyed. They're in the valley of the shadow of death because God, the good shepherd, led them there. Let that explode your brain for just a minute. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He is protection in our troubles. The crises of life draw us closer 
to God. We are more prone to talk about God when we're in the green pastures and more prone to cry out to God when we enter into the fearful ravine. Most of you in this room that have had any length of time of following Jesus will acknowledge that the most miserable, painful times of your life have drawn you closer to Jesus. And no one goes, I mean, we do. We, we pray for closeness, like, God, draw my heart to you. <laughs> and let me just tell you, some, sometimes, a lot of times, Him drawing your heart to you is through this place because only in those moments do we really learn to trust Him. Because in the gar- in the peaceful times, we forget. We don't even think we need Jesus. But in these, He's there. Spurgeon, I found this when I was reading through this on his commentary on um, Psalms 23, one of his sermons. It says, Someone has said that when there is a shadow, there must be a light somewhere. And so there is. Death stands by the side of the highway in which we have to travel. And the light of heaven shines upon him, death, through throwing a shadow across our path. Let us then rejoice that there is light beyond. No one is afraid of a shadow. For a shadow cannot stop a man's pathway even for a moment you don't drive down the road and there's shadows of tree cast on the um the blacktop and you stop in the middle road because of the shadow that's on the road a shadow of a dog cannot bite you a shadow of a sword that cannot kill you a shadow of death cannot destroy you It's a shadow. It's the fear. It literally talks about the devil uh, roaring like a lion to bring terror to you. The fear of it. And he's saying, trust in me. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. There's a guy named Admiral Jim or James Stockdale. Seven years, was a POW during Vietnam. Survived through some of the worst imprisonment than you can imagine. Torture, abuse, seeing his friends give up, die. And they they ask him, how did you make it through it? And he said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted, not only would I get out, but also I would prevail in the end. He never lost sight, and that's partly what this psalm and really any promise of God is, is trusting the end of the story. He lived in this reality that nothing would change his mind of like, I'm going to get out of this, while not ignoring the brutal reality of his current situation. And he said those that didn't make it were the ones that had hope, But their hope was pinned to a day of release. We're going to be out by Christmas. And they said all of their hope on it and Christmas would come and go and Easter would come and go and summer would come and go. And they lost hope because they lost sight of the end. 
And he's like, the reason why I made it is because the whole time I stayed fixed that I would prevail. That I would be released. In the middle of those places, you have to stand firm in the reality that for one, nothing can destroy us. These are the shadow of death. And he's with me. I love that in Jesus, after his resurrection, his last thing that he tells his people, he gives them this mission that we're still working at. Go forward and make disciples. And he said, I will be with you till the end of the age. Our peace is, is that if we're his child, he says, no one will snatch my child out of my hand. No one. It may feel like it. It may feel like the world is coming down on you. And I'm sure in the middle of that valley, it feels like this will never end. And you have to... I have to fix our attention on where this ends. And then verse 5, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You prepare a table before me in the presence of the enemy because our enemies cannot mess with what God has prepared for us. In your present state, where enemies are surrounding you, does not determine, does not conclude who you are in Christ, period. Like, it literally, he tells us, like, they, they hated me, they're going to hate you. And we're trusting in this reality that he's prepared a table. And, and, and being invited, in this culture, being invited to the table was one, they were big on hospitality. When you were invited into them, you were, you were protected by them, you were cared by them, you were provided by them, even at the cost of their own family, not getting food because you were the guest. You anoint our head with oil, which has lots of meanings. One of those is the, the oil, the anointing, they, they t- refer to it as the Holy Spirit. He gives us, in our trusting of Jesus, the same power and resurrection that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. He anoints us. And part of it, going back to the sheep illustration, one of the things that would destroy the sheep is these, I think they were called blowflies. They would, they would land on the head of the sheep and they would uh, plant <laughs> seeds, babies in them, and it would, it, would, it, would, it would kill them. It would make them sick. It would make them weak. And they would anoint their head with oil because it would protect them. And it's what the Holy Spirit does in and through us with the Word, is it becomes our covering that protects us from that, the enemy that would love to come and plant its seed in us. And my cup is overflowing. There's a tradition in the old Palestine homes where you are allowed to stay at the table and a guest at the house of the host as long as they filled your cup back up with wine. That you are welcome as long as they continue to put wine in your cup. And here's this illustration. Not only here, but the, our cup is overflowing. He invites us to this place, and his intention is not for us 
to leave. In verse 6 it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Paul says that this is a light and momentary affliction. And Paul was beat and abused more than any of us have experienced and probably will ever experience. And he called it light and momentary. Because he understood at the end of his, and he said that, you know, for him to die is gain. And to live as Christ, that it's beneficial for him to enter into the presence of God because he understood that this is not our home. Part of the joy of reading these and part of the power of reading this is trusting that if number one is our heart, if we are, the Lord is our shepherd, then this is the end of ours, that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We will have a home to go to. There is mercy and grace with Jesus as your shepherd. And so let me go back to where I started with verse 1. Is verse 1, I'll go ahead and put up all of them. Is verse 1 true for you? See, the Lord is my shepherd. Here's a reality. So there was, when Jesus uh, was gaining uh, popularity, there was rumors, you know, the, the higher-ups were asking, who, who is Jesus? And there was rumors that he was John the Baptist, raised from the dead, which was weird because they existed at the same time. Um, that he was Elijah, come back. That he was one of the Old Testament prophets. Come, like There was all this speculation. And then so one day, this conversation's going around Jesus. Outside of him, you know, the, the presidents are talking about him. The people in power are talking about him. And one day, he turns this conversation to his disciples, and they're with him. And he asked them a question. He says, who do people say that I am? And you know what they did? They regurgitated what everybody else is saying about Jesus. And he turns this question to them. He says, but who do you say that I am? Because here's, here's, and I love this. It doesn't matter what I think, feel, or believe about Jesus. It doesn't matter, and don't take this wrong, don't run way off with this. It doesn't matter what this church believes or thinks about Jesus. The only thing that matters is what you, because your salvation doesn't come because you're connected to us as a church who believes that Jesus is that power. Your salvation and your availability to these promises come from your understanding of what you believe about Jesus. That's one thing. There there are no grandchildren in the faith. And my, I've been in ministry my children's entire life, other than Liddy, my oldest, who's 18. Uh, I became youth pastor. No, technically, her whole life. She was born in May. I became youth pastor in April. Her whole life. And let me tell you, her and Noah and Allie will one day, if they've not done so already, have to claim the name of Jesus because they are not connected to Jesus because of me. Because it is my, the Lord is my shepherd. That's where we have our favor. 
We have to declare who Jesus is to us because that, when you're in the valley, what someone else believes won't matter anything because they're not there. But what you believe will change the way you think and feel about this. And so what I want to do is I'm going to be quiet for about two minutes. And what I would like you to do is, you know, inside of your brain, or if you need to read it out loud, read it out loud. Um, But read through this twice. Because how we think and believe about this, and like I said at the beginning of this message, my, my goal for you this week is to own Psalms 23. Put it on your mirror in your bathroom. Put it in your, you know, not covering your your speed, but like put it up on your dash of your car and declare. Because if Jesus is your shepherd, then these are the things, in spite of what you think or feel, that he's going to do in and through you. So I'm going to be silent, read through it on your own twice, and then I'm going to read it out loud and we're going to close. Notice something before I read it again. Verses 1 and 2 and 3, it's He. And when it gets real, it goes to you. It becomes more personal. It's not just, oh, this is something that He does. This is you. This is a connection. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Bible is filled with promises that are ours when we answer the question of, is the Lord my shepherd? And the beauty, I, I love Psalms because it's raw. I mean, you read Psalms, and if, if, if you think your life is bad, and you struggle, and you're like, why? I mean, it's okay. It's okay to cry out. David, literally, most of his Psalms are like, why have you done this to me, Lord? Why, 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 why? And I love a lot of them will start out that way and he almost always finishes, but I trust you. And your freedom, your grace, the mercy you get to walk into is just like Admiral Stockdale. Your view 
of the end of this, what God is doing for you, will determine how you navigate the valley and every other thing that God brings you through. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. I cannot and do not have the power to make you think or believe anything. I heard one pastor said, I can inspire anybody until Monday. And that's about as much power as I have. I can make you feel good today. You're like, yes. And then Monday hits you square in the face. And you're like, where's pastor at now? Same place I was last week on Monday. Probably thinking I did a bad job on Sunday. And the reality is, is I'm just like you. I have to wake up on Monday morning and decide, is God good enough and big enough for everything he's trying to do in and through me? And then trust him along the way. Hebrews 13 says, starting in verse 20, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Let His peace, power you through the valleys that you will go through. In the the beauty of us now back somewhat in the same room, not all of us, but the beauty of that is, is that we're surrounded by people. If you share your story, because we all, when we're isolated, When we're going through the valley, we love to think we're the only one that God picks on. We're the only one that God allows these things to happen. But when you you share your story, share your suffering, what you'll discover is that no one is left out of that suffering. And that we are here together. That's the beauty, because we're sheep. And there, there's, there's, there's power in the sheep being together. Let's pray. Jesus, I declare what I've already said, is that these are your words, and there's power in believing them and trusting them. Lord, I pray that you would lead us to the place of putting our trust in you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us constantly be reminded that you are with us, that you are for us. You're providing, protecting, and refreshing us as we allow you to lead us. So Lord, help us surrender Help us trust you. Lord, for those in this room struggling with that idea, Lord, I pray you do 
your work to draw them into the reality of who you are. That they wouldn't blindly believe because we believe and because I declare it. But Lord, I pray that they would be like the people of the Samaritan city that they came to hear Jesus after the woman at the well told them, but they said in their statement, we believe because of her, but now we believe because of you. We've heard and we know, and I pray that that would be us, that we trust you. And so, Lord, this week, as Psalms 23 is read again, and hopefully again and again, I pray that it would move and stir our faith, not only in us, but in other people. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you that you are a good, good shepherd. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.